it does spark a lot of anger. I find it interesting because in my mind, you know, people saving a large percentage of their income, why be angry about that, right? Like let's get angry about like human trafficking or something, you know, but people on the internet, it's just amazing. Just the reactions that you'll get from people. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 73 with Diana Marion. I'm really excited about this conversation because I've been wanting to introduce listeners of the podcast to the FIRE movement for quite a long time. And if you haven't heard of it, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it's a movement dedicated to extreme savings and investment, and it allows people to retire far earlier than traditional budgets and retirement plans might allow. My guest, Diana Merriam, is somebody that I met at a conference over the summer, and she is both participating in the FIRE movement and is also in the process of organizing a big conference to share these ideas and help us question our assumptions about happiness, freedom, and prosperity. It's a really great conversation, and I really do hope you stick around. I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's show, Strategic Insurance Agency. Early on in the tiny house movement, getting insurance for your tiny home was incredibly difficult. Strategic Insurance Agency now offers homeowner-style insurance for movable and ground-bound tiny houses in all 50 states. That means you can get covered for fire, theft, liability, personal property, and more. People often pour their life savings into buying or building a tiny house, and Strategic Insurance Agency can help you protect that investment. They even cover your house if you want to try short-term rentals like Airbnb and offer special insurance for tiny house builders as well. The best part is that it's super easy to get a quote. Head over to mystrategicinsurance.com THLP to get a quick free quote for insuring your tiny home. And for every tiny house policy written, Strategic Insurance Agency will donate $5 to a tiny house charity of your choice. Again, that's mystrategicinsurance.com slash THLP for a free tiny house insurance quote. Thank you so much to Strategic Insurance Agency for sponsoring the show. All right, I am here with Diana Merriam. In 2015, Diana discovered the Mr. Money Mustache blog, which is written by a man who retired at 30 years old. Reading it was like a refreshing punch in the face. At the time, she was living in New York City and was $30,000 in debt. She got out of that debt in 11 months and started saving about 60% of her income. This newfound grip on her finances gave her a huge boost of confidence to pursue life goals that felt previously out of reach. In 2017, she moved to Cincinnati after negotiating a remote working arrangement with her employer. She then took a two-month unpaid sabbatical to walk the Camino de Santiago, a 500-mile trek across northern Spain. She also bought a house, adopted a dog, and found herself a Midwestern gentleman. She will be financially independent by the time she's 40. 
Diana is launching a conference for an audience of 700 people at the University of Cincinnati called Economy. Economy speakers will guide us on a journey of questioning our assumptions surrounding happiness, freedom, and prosperity through the lens of personal finance. Diana Merriam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What an intro. Did I write that? I think so. <laughs> was it too long? I mean, I could always cut some oh, out. No, no, no. I was like, wow, okay. I forgot that I wrote that because we scheduled this a while ago. It's been, it's been on the calendar for a long time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I've, I've been excited to have someone who has knowledge in this area on the show because I think there's a lot of crossover with the tiny totally. house movement. Absolutely. Why don't we? And, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and we met at World Domination Summit, which is actually a huge um, influence and inspiration for me for the conference that I'm building. And that conference is uh, very much about unconventional living. And so, you know, we met in this uh, at another conference that uh, definitely has some overlap for us because, you know, tiny homes versus the fire movement, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of similarities in mentality, I'd say. Yeah, no question about it. Maybe we should start with just the basics, um, because I'm guessing that a lot of my listeners have never heard the word fire movement. Um, so maybe you could just define, define that and explain what it is. Sure. So FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it's, it's really a lifestyle movement. I'd probably say similar to um, the tiny house movement. It's a pretty provocative idea that you can design your life so that over time, work is optional. Um, what I really love about it is I think it challenges the conventional wisdom surrounding work and time and money and how much is actually enough. Um, you know, there's this kind of standard uh, script of the American dream that we think about where, you know, we go to college, we get a well-paying job, we climb the ladder, we buy the biggest home we can afford. Uh, we have 2.5 children, we buy two brand new cars, and then we work until we're 65. And it's this kind of rat race that we're on um, that is just kind of this, the, the norm, the kind of um, social conditioning that that we all pretty much subscribe to. And I was really on that path and came to a point in my late 20s where I realized it wasn't really making me happy, that I was um, had all these external markers of success that I thought would make me happy and it didn't really pan out that way. And so I stumbled upon this blog, the Mr. Money Mustache blog that I had mentioned. And it was just such a different way to think about money and that it's not about making more money to buy more stuff that you don't need. It's actually about being really conscious about your spending and your income and using that to buy your freedom and to buy more options, which is what I found um, you know, in, in the way that I've been able to implement it in my own life. So what is the kind of, I know that it's going to be different for every person. What's the, the general formula or the general uh, goal for achieving this? Sure. So I think it's a pretty simple um, dynamic here. It's increasing the gap between um, your expenses and your, um, or it's growing the gap between what you're earning and what you're spending and investing the difference. So I would say many people in this movement are saving upwards of 50% of their income. Um, and if you invest that, 
you're able to enjoy the fruits of compound interest. The idea is that your money can work harder for you than you can. So put that money to work by investing it. And um, really the way you grow this gap is either by increasing your income, and you could do this in a variety of ways. People are starting side hustles, finding higher paying work, investing in real estate. There are, I mean, there's so much writing out there uh, about ways to increase your income. Um, then there's another subset of um, bloggers and podcasters within the FIRE movement that really focus on decreasing expenses. I think what's really relevant to your audience is um, there's a lot written out there focusing on the big three, which is housing, transportation, and food. And so those three areas are really where people spend the most money. And so if you can focus your efforts on um, saving in those areas, um, that that's really beneficial. So for example, I bought a home. Um, I don't have a tiny home. I have a smallish house, I guess you could say. Um, it's probably around a uh, thousand square feet. And I bought it in a, a low cost of living area. I moved from New York City to Cincinnati. So, um, you know, that's, that's a way that I kind of really reduced my housing costs because I was paying $1,800 a month for a cockroach infested apartment in Brooklyn for a long time. And so um, working remotely um, and buying a home in a low cost of living area really helped me in decreasing the expenses. Transportation is a big one. Many people buy brand new cars. It's very much shunned in the fire community to buy a new car. Um, a car is really a depreciating asset. And so you don't really want to, you almost want to like spend the least amount possible on a car. I ended up buying a $6,000 Mazda 3, two, 2010 Mazda 3, just cash. Um, and so I never have to worry about a car payment. It gets me from, you know, point A to B and it, it serves the, the function of what a car is supposed to do. Um, and then in the area of food, that's something that I really had to wrap my head around because when I was living in New York, I was going out to dinner like every night. I was spending a lot on going out. And so I had to teach myself um, meal planning and you know cooking. And um, that, that actually was really beneficial in a number of ways for me because um, aside from just saving money, you're eating healthier when you cook for yourself. You're being a lot more conscious about um, you know, what ingredients you're using. I would just spend like an afternoon picking, you know, what meals I was going to cook for that week, um, going to the store, prepping everything, packaging it up. And it just saved me so much time and mental energy during the week to not have to worry about what I was going to eat. I just opened the fridge and pick out what I prepared. Um, so tons of time and money savings when, when you can get into kind of cooking and preparing your own food. And that being said, um, the social aspect of it, I actually got really into um, hosting dinner parties. So um, rather than going and meeting friends at restaurants and going to have drinks, I would plan these elaborate dinner parties and I, I could, you know, feed a whole group of eight people um, for a lot cheaper than, you know, going out. So I would, you know, cook all the food and then I tell everyone to bring the booze and we'd have a party and it was super fun. I would create games. Um, I remember this one time I had a party where I told everyone to bring um, a picture from their awkward phase and we just kind of like shared it around the table. It's, and it's, it's that kind of stuff to me is what really attracted to me to this lifestyle because it's not about deprivation. To me, it was about creativity and resourcefulness and how do I get my needs met in a really efficient way? And 
I think it was really gratifying to me to like tap into this level of resourcefulness that I didn't even know I had um, versus just, you know, kind of plugging along the, the, the way I was before, not just really in a mindless um, consumption and just tied up in conveniences and um, really figuring out a different way um, kind of gave me a lot of confidence in that I can live a minimalist lifestyle and it doesn't feel like deprivation. It actually is really satisfying. Yeah, there's so much crossover with the tiny house movement because, and this just kind of takes it one step further. You know, so many people come to the tiny house movement because they want to reduce their housing costs. That's not the only reason people do it, right? but it's a big reason and it's a big benefit of tiny house living. And, you know, aside from just the fact that tiny houses cost a lot less than larger homes, once you're living in a tiny house, you really just can't consume as much as you can in a larger home. You don't have space right. to store things, essentially. You don't have space to put new appliances and new new toys and new purchases. Um, or if you do, you have to get rid of and potentially sell something else. Um, so I think this just takes that lifestyle and then puts a little bit more intention behind it, or it puts it puts a different end goal. It's like, I'm going to reduce my cost of living, potentially also increase my income and then save as much money as I can so that I can at some point live off of the returns of my investments. Absolutely. I mean, I think it really makes you question your assumptions around what you want and need, right? So for example, you know, I, I took a two month sabbatical a couple of years ago to go walk the Camino, which is a 500 mile trek across Spain. It was one of the hardest things that I ever did before I tried to start a conference. This is now the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but I, for two months, I had, I just lived out of a backpack and, you know, I slept in a different bed every night and I walked 20 miles a day and it really kind of changed my perception of what I think I need. Um, what I actually need is, you know, the people around me, human connection, um, time and space to think. Um, you know, my, my basic needs were met. I had a bed to sleep in every night that I had to, you know, go figure out. So there was a little bit of uncertainty. I didn't know where I was going to sleep every night, but I trusted that I was able to figure it out. Um, there was food around, you know, there were people around to help. Um, so I think, you know, that experience of living so minimally um, really taught me that you don't need much as, as far as, you know, what our consumerist culture would tell us that I need. You really don't need that much. Yeah. And I think that that, that brings me to, you know, I know that there's a lot of, that this kind of makes people angry. Like it, it there's a lot of really negative reactions to this idea. And I'm curious if you have any any theories or, or thoughts about why, because I think I think that tiny houses also provoke a similar reaction. And I'm yeah. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. It does spark a lot of anger. I find it interesting because in my mind, you know, people saving a large percentage of their income probably why be angry about that? Right. Like let's get angry about like human trafficking or something, you know, but people on the internet, it's just amazing. Um, just the reactions that you'll get from people. Like I I'm convinced that 
if I posted online that I was going to grow a garden in my backyard, it would enrage someone on the internet. I guarantee it. <laughs> so um, I, I don't really have much of an explanation for that. But I do think that when you talk about money or you talk about tiny homes or you talk about an unconventional thing that you're doing that leads to your happiness, I find that people may perceive that to say that, you know, we're saying that they should do it too, which in, in my mind, it's none of my business what anybody else does with their money or how they want to live. You know, that, that's, that's totally up to them. The only reason why I'm talking about it is because it's something that makes me really happy. And I discovered it because somebody else decided to talk about it. So to me, it's about making the information accessible for people who don't yet know that this is their thing. It's not about convincing anyone to change the way that they're living. And I think that people get upset about it because they believe that we're somehow making a judgment about how they're choosing to live. Um, and that's not really the way that I see it. Um, because again, how other people, you know, whatever they choose to do with their, their time, their money, their homes, um, to me is just really none of my business. Um, I'm still going to go on saving 60% of my income and chasing financial independence and, um, kind of talking about it for people that find it beneficial. What is the recommended amount? I, I know I've read it somewhere, like how many times your yearly income sure. do you kind of need to have saved in order to then earn that via interest? Sure. Um, so really in traditional kind of retirement advice, it is about, uh, you know, saving how many times your yearly income in the fire movement, we focus on yearly expenses because okay. our expenses are so much less than our actual income. Um, so the train of thought here is that at 25 times your annual expenses, you will reach what we call financial independence. Some people feel like they need a little bit more cushion. Um, some people in like the lean fire space um, where they're, they're, they're really just covering their bare necessities. They feel like they need less. Um, so, but I would say like the general train of thought there is about 25% of your annual, annual expenses. Or 25 times. 25 times. Yes. Okay. So is this for everyone? I guess, and I ask in the sense of like, is this for people who don't make a lot of money or is it a lot? Is this more geared towards people who are like professionals, corporate world, people who are earning, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars a year, who who have like room to really downsize and lower their expenses below their current, you know, lifestyle? Right. I think everyone's starting from a different starting point, right? So if you make a lower income, it could take you longer to get there. Um, but you know, any kind of saving is beneficial. I think the philosophy and like the mindset within the fire movement is actually the most beneficial part. Whether you reach financial independence or retirement um, early, to me, is a little bit irrelevant. For me, it's very much about the journey. And so I think it could be beneficial, especially for lower income people. Um, one of the things that I like to say is it's not about not buying the Tesla. It's more about not wanting the Tesla because it's about happiness and satisfaction. 
And so if you constantly feel like you're deprived, um, I think that there's a lot you can get out of this movement when it comes to the mindset and mentality about consumerism and money. Um, I live a really simple lifestyle in, you know, a smaller home, you know, a home, a home that's really easily, easy for me to afford a car that I have no payment. Um, you know, and for me, it's, it's a really gratifying lifestyle in its own right. It's not only for the pursuit of financial independence. It's just the way that I want to live because I think the simplicity is, is really beneficial. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there, there are like nuggets that anybody can take out of this movement, um, to kind of open up their minds to what's possible. You know, um, this is something that I discovered where I, I mean, it was just never on my radar before the idea that you could retire before 65. And what I found, which was very, um, surprising to me is that my pursuit of fire led me to a lifestyle and a, um, situation and circumstances that I find myself in today, that my life actually looks today, like I would want it to in retirement. So it became irrelevant if I ever even make it. Um, I'm pursuing it because of the joy of the pursuit, really. Um, so I, I do think that everyone could get, a, get benefit out of this lifestyle, but you've got to customize it to your situation and what interests you. I think that's something that took me a little while to learn because you read all these examples of people online that, um, and even like me telling my story, this is what I'm saying works for me. I'm not saying that it works for everyone. My, my interpretation of, um, you know, how I've changed my lifestyle and how I've applied these things in my life. It's, it's what works for me, but I had to customize it. So like, for example, I, you know, Mr. Money Mustache, I became obsessed with that blog. I went through a period of extreme frugality to get me out of 30 grand in debt in 11 months. And I got to a point where I almost envisioned Mr. Money Mustache as this like demigod that would damn me to consumerist hell if I went and got a massage or something like that, or any like unnecessary spending. And the reality is that Mr. Money Mustache is a, na a man named Pete who has like no idea who I am. <laughs> and so, he, you know, if I don't want to ride my bike to work, that's something that he talks about a lot, like riding your bike everywhere and not um, driving. You know, that's just a piece of it that really works for him that doesn't really appeal to me. And especially because I work from home now, so it doesn't really apply that much. Um, and so I had to kind of learn to get inspiration from what other people were um, telling me works for them, but take it all with a grain of salt and realize that, you know, I'm the master of my own ship and I need to craft the life that makes me happy. Um, and it's not, you know, the things that you read online, it's not all or nothing, you know, it's all just inspiration and thought provoking stuff. Yeah. I think the extreme frugality is something that I've recommended that I, I did a version of extreme frugality when I was saving for my tiny house, you know, cause I needed at the time I, I thought it was going to be about $25,000. I ended up going way over budget. Um, but luckily, because I had been practicing that extreme frugality, I was able to complete the house without any debt. Where, like, what is involved in extreme frugality or what, you know, what did that mean for you? Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think that I really kind of started from a place of, you know, really questioning wants and needs. Every single time I would spend money, I kind of had a little thought process um, that I would go through. So the first step, if I wanted to buy something, I'd really think about, do I really need to buy this thing? Is it a need or is it a want? Can I delay this purchase? Or is it something that I really have to have right now and why? And I think just the conscious aspect of really questioning consumption is to me the first step. I mean, it could thwart a lot of consumption right then. Um, Next, I would ask myself, like, can I repurpose something that I already have? So, so this is such a stupid, simple example, but you know, I got a bunch of house plants because I wanted to, you know, have plants in the house. And so I thought, well, I need to get like a watering thing to like go around and water the plants. Do I really need to buy another thing to go water the plants or can I fill up a cup of water at the sink and go water the plants? Like it's such a simple example, but there are so many of those little things every day that we just assume, oh, I have this need. I need to buy another possession to suit that need. But you could probably repurpose something that you already have. So I would think a lot about that. And that's where a lot of creativity came in. Um, and that led to a lot of satisfaction. Um, then I would ask myself, can I borrow it? Can I borrow it from someone else? Um, I went through, when I was getting out of debt, I wouldn't buy any clothing. And I didn't buy clothing for a long time. I actually, um, I did a lot of clothing exchanges with friends which lucky for me in New York city, I had a lot of fashionable friends. So, um, but whenever I had to go to like a wedding or a really nice event, rather than buying a nice new dress, I I'm only going to wear it a few times, right? I would borrow something from a friend and I had friends that were help, happy to help out. I would share a lot that I had. So it's almost like creating this, um, almost sharing community amongst friends so that you get your needs met. Um, but you don't necessarily have to, you know, shell out money every single time. Um, same thing. Like I never understood why everybody on my block has a lawnmower. I actually just started sharing my lawnmower with my neighbors across the street because why do we all need one? Right? Like, why can't we just share? Um, then the next level after, can I borrow it? I would ask myself, can I buy it used? Um, and you know, environmentally that's just better. Um, it, you know, if I had to buy something, buying it used, um, same thing as like buying a used car. Um, it's just, it's more efficient. Um, and a lot of times people are getting rid of things that they just used a few times. So maybe it's a little bit more work, um, but definitely some savings there. Um, and then finally, after those four steps, if I really had to buy it new, then I would buy it new. But just the process of really thinking about it really helped me cut down on my spending and consumption. Um, cause I was just, again, more mindful of it. Yeah. That's all really great advice. And like, we could just replace the word, you know, fire with tiny house movement and <laughs> all that advice is like super, super applicable. And in a lot of ways, you know, somebody who was pursuing financial independence and early retirement could significantly reduce their expenses by pursuing tiny house living. Absolutely. Are you, are there a lot of people, is there a crossover? Like, are there people talking about tiny houses in the fire movement? Yeah, I've definitely heard it come up. Um, not a ton in kind of the, the 
um, I don't like, for example, any of the blogs or podcasts and stuff that I follow, I don't know of any of them actually living in tiny homes. But again, I mean, even in our discussions, there's just so much of an overlap when it comes to mentality um, that, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people in your audience, you know, have heard of fire or pursuing it in their own right. Yeah, I think that there are a good number of people who are approaching retirement age and are basically trying to kind of reset or or match the level of their expenses to what they have saved. And, yeah. you know, downsizing into a tiny house is often a really great idea and something that people are pursuing because they are realizing, you know, I don't want to keep working um, and I'd like to have more time to enjoy life. So I need to downsize, you know, really significantly reduce my housing costs. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that stands out to me is, you know, time is finite. Um, money and stuff is like infinite, right? Like you can always make more money. You can always get more stuff. And I had to kind of go through this process of, um, you know, in my twenties, I was chasing the money. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was, you know, buying a bunch of stuff that I didn't need and it didn't ultimately lead to my happiness. And so, um, finding these concepts really helped me wrap my head around the fact that our most valuable resource is time. And you can use your money to buy more time for yourself, or you can use it to buy more stuff. And I don't think it's talked about enough in our culture that, um, you know, the, the, the tra that trade-off, you know, between spending your money on, you know, buying your time or stuff. Yeah. I really like that, that mentality. And I think that goes back to that's like a, a strategy, I think, for how you can come to enjoy the process. Yeah. Where it's not, where it doesn't feel like you're punishing yourself, but where you actually are seeing it as a choice between your time and the thing. And, right. you know, and then you can very joyfully and excitedly choose your time over owning the thing. Yeah. I mean, I think of it like, almost when you take your physical health seriously, right? In the beginning, when you start eating healthy and exercising, there may be a little piece of it that's, that makes you uncomfortable because it's not, you know, it's not a habit for you. It's not something that you normally do, but then you start feeling better and then you start having more energy and the skills that you're learning to take care of your physical body starts to become a habit that you don't really think about. Now you start craving the healthy food. Now you're looking forward to that workout because you know you're going to feel great afterwards. That happens over time. But I think about that, it, it's very comparable to like becoming financially healthy, right? The, the things that I would do in the beginning, like cooking every meal that I would eat and like, you know, it was a habit that I had to build that it's not something I really think about now. You know, when I first started saving 60% of my income seemed like this like overly ambitious, difficult thing. And now I do it without even thinking about it because the habits are just, are just ingrained. And I think, um, part of the reason why I wanted to start this conference and why I continue to follow the blogs and the podcasts that talk about the fire movement is because I do think that we need reinforcement. We're doing something a bit unconventional. We're fighting against this consumerist culture 
that tells us to, um, you know, buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't even like, right? There's that constant barrage of, of influence from our culture that, that we need to kind of fight against a bit. And so the reinforcement that comes from, um, you know, staying ingrained in this community and reading about this and kind of reminding myself of the freedom I've created in my life kind of helps me stay the course for sure. Nice. I want to shift gears and talk about the conference, the event. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Why is it called that? And why, you know, what, what made you want to go the extra step, the extra like 10,000 steps beyond just doing this for yourself and to organize an event for 700 people? Sure. So the event is called Economy. So M-E at the end, a uh, little play on words there with the spelling. Um, you'll notice that my name has an extra I in it. So <laughs> it's almost like I, I appreciate words that have letters that make no sense. Um, but really it's, you know, if you think about our, you know, definition of our just economy with the Y at the end, one of the definitions I read, it's the wealth and resources of a country or region, especially in terms of the production and consumption of goods and services. It's also the careful management of available resources. Economy, M-E at the end, is about applying that to an individual or family and applying the careful management of available resources to maximize happiness. That's what we're really talking about here in the FIRE movement. And so I loved that kind of play on words. Um, I didn't want to call it the FIRE conference, even though it definitely has roots in the, the FIRE movement, um, because I think it, it is kind of a controversial topic, right? When people hear financial independence and retire early, sometimes there's this like visceral reaction. And so I wanted to present it in a way that might be a little bit more easily digestible. And so I framed it in this context of um, the American dream. And so the tagline for the conference is provocative speakers exploring a new American dream. And when I started exploring this concept, what, what stood out to me is I looked up like a definition of the American dream and it originated as this ideal where every person has the right to pursue his or her unique version of happiness. That stood out to me, unique version of happiness. It's you kind of charting your own path. And I think it kind of devolved into this consumerist materialistic culture where that path is taught to us, that, that kind of American, traditional script of the American dream that I kind of mentioned before, right? So this idea that I could arrange a conference where it would be like this one day about reclaiming the right of the original American dream, we're calling it a new American dream, but it really is kind of going back to that original ideal. Um, and that you are the captain of your own ship and, um, you know, you can create your unique version of happiness, whatever that means to you. And maybe it's not fire, but maybe there are ideas within the fire movement, um, that you can implement to create a little bit more freedom in your life, especially when it comes to finances. So we're going to have basically a lineup of speakers that are gonna guide us in questioning our assumptions about happiness, freedom, and prosperity through the lens of personal finance. So we're talking about money, but we're talking about so much more than money because the money aspect of it, it's just math, right? Like 
it, it's really just numbers, but there's so much emotion behind the numbers that, that we're trying to wrap our heads around. Um, and so basically the way that it's going to go, um, it's a one day event at the university of Cincinnati. We're going to have two sessions of provocative speakers. And then in the middle of the day, there's going to be a big break, um, where you can kind of network with other attendees. You'll have an opportunity to screen a new documentary that just came out called playing with fire about the fire movement. Um, and then go get lunch and all that good stuff. Um, so a session in the morning, big break in the middle of the day session in late afternoon. Um, and then everyone kind of goes their own way for dinner and we're going to have a big after party. Um, so it's, it's just a one day event for now. I really wanted to start, um, you know, in a position so that it could grow over time. Um, but it is a huge undertaking to, to, um, organize a conference. And so, um, you know, just trying to manage it in a way that, um, uh, I could grow it over time, but almost test the concept in the first year for sure. The other aspect of this that I'm really excited about by partnering with the University of Cincinnati is to make this stuff accessible to students. I can't imagine what my 20s would have been like if I would have learned about this stuff earlier. I discovered it when I was like 28. So, um, you know, these, these students are graduating with a bunch of student loan debt. You know, they're questioning, you know, what they want to do with their careers and life design and all that kind of stuff. And so to be able to expose them to some of these ideas as they're thinking through that stuff um, is really exciting to me. When I decided to launch a conference, my thought process was that I just love this stuff. This is content and ideas that completely change the trajectory of my life. And I think when you're so impacted by something, you kind of want to shout it from the mountaintops. But I didn't want to write a book or start a blog or start a podcast because there are so many of those that already exist. There are so many brilliant people that are talking about this topic that um, I feel like are doing such a good job that I didn't, I didn't sense that that could be my contribution. I felt that my contribution could be creating like a literal stage where these podcasters and bloggers and content creators can share their um, message in, in through a new medium. I mean, you know the power of public speaking. You love World Domination Summit as much as I do. Um, there is something to be said about getting out from behind your screen and being in an audience um, of open-minded people that um, are listening to an incredible speaker, you know, share their insights. Um, I read about this stuff all day by myself, you know, but I would love to be in an environment where I'm able to learn um, and engage with this kind of content with a group of people. You know, there's just, there's something so powerful about how that message can be received when you receive it in that context. Um, so, you know, there are a number of events that happen within the fire space. Um, there are some camps like Camp Fi, there's Camp Mustache. I went to both of them this year. Um, there's some women-oriented financial conferences like Statement in New York, there's Sense Positive, there's Lola Retreat. Um, so I would definitely say that the idea of events in this space are, is definitely growing, um, but it seemed to be more of a white space than you know, some of the, the content production, like a book or a blog or a podcast. So, um, and, and even for me, I, 
I am very much an extroverted type of person. Um, and so I love to talk to people. Um, and so I wanted to create something that wouldn't require me to like be behind my screen, writing a book, um, or be, you know, so isolated. I really wanted to create something that would allow me to, um, interact with people more. And so that's what this conference is all about. I mean, I had to reach out to so many people to, you know, talk about speaking and reaching out to get on all these podcasts. And, um, it's just been an incredible amount of fun to, um, really for me, even learning more and getting deeper into the fire movement in the creation of this conference. Nice. And I don't think you mentioned it. When is the conference? Yes. So it is on March 7th, 2020 at the University of Cincinnati. And that's a Saturday. And I think uh, we're going to get to do a giveaway, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to give away a couple tickets. Yeah. So we're going to actually make two tickets available for free to listeners of the show. And um, that's going to just be a random drawing um, at thetinyhouse.net slash economy. That's E-C-O-N-O-M-E. Yes. Um, and I'll repeat, I'll repeat these URLs in the outro of the show as well. Um, but in thinking about it, I just, I feel like just a random drawing will be keep things fair, keep things you know, impartial, um, you know, hopefully you'll only sign up if you actually think you can, you know, travel to Cincinnati and go to the conference. Um, but I'm really excited to, to send to two tiny house lifestyle podcast listeners to, to the conference. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can always go to my, um, website and sign up for the mailing list to keep following along. The conference is still very much in development. So we've signed about half our speakers to date. Um, you know, definitely locked in the venue and whatnot. Um, but, but yeah, it is still in development. So definitely stay tuned. And what is the website for the conference? It is economy, M-E, conference.com. All right. That's easy to remember. So one thing that I like to ask all my guests, um, is what are two or three resources? So like books, websites, people, who helped you out along on your journey that you want to share with the listeners? Sure. Well, definitely shout out to Mr. Money Mustache. I mean, that blog, again, completely changed my life. When I first found it, I read every single article from the beginning and it really just set a fire, pun intended, um, for me to get out of that debt in 11 months, 30 grand in 11 months. Um, so definitely recommend Mr. Money Mustache. Um, there's another book that got me really comfortable with investing because I'll say that that piece of it was very intimidating to me. Um, and it's called um, The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Um, it really made me just a lot more comfortable with investing and having a very simple strategy to follow. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, I'd also recommend um, definitely for like the philosophy part of it. There's another book um, called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. And she's actually seen as kind of one of the pioneers of the fire movement. That book, I think, came out in like the 90s, but a new edition was just released recently. And um, I would say, again, we're talking about money, but we're talking about so much more than money. And it's really about mindset and philosophy. Um, that book really had a big impact um, on me in that way. That's great. Those are those are really wonderful suggestions. And I'll add because I know that there are going to be questions like, 
what about like when the stock market crashes or what about like all these things? So Mr. Money Mustache like has answers to all of these questions. Absolutely. Um, So and I didn't want to like grill Diana about all these like like one off like questions. But like seriously, Mr. Money Mustache is is really fun. He's a great writer, too. Um, Yeah. I mean, there are resources out there of people that are just real money nerds that dive into all the data and really analyze this stuff. I would say that um, I don't really consider myself an expert on the fire movement. I am just one person that was changed by it. And that's really inspired by it. Um, But I would definitely point people to some of those other resources of the true money nerds that, that dive into all those questions. Great. Well, Diana Merriam, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Diana Merriam for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes for today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 073. And there you'll find a link where you can enter to win two tickets to the Economy Conference coming up in March of 2020. The link to that giveaway is thetinyhouse.net slash economy. That's with an E at the end. So thetinyhouse.net slash E-C-O-N-O-M-E. I want to thank our sponsor this week, Strategic Insurance Agency. Uh, We can't produce the show without our sponsors, and I really do appreciate their support. So check them out online. All the links are at the show notes page, thetinyhouse.net slash 073. That's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.